Welcome to the latest episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm Buck, your host this week. And with me, I have the DJ. Hey, guys. How you going, DJ? I'm going good. I'm good. Another fun day. Beautiful weather. You sound so excited. I know. It's the beautiful weather. Hopefully, we get some rain as well. Well, You didn't get any rain? A little bits and pieces, but not heavy. Okay. I went to the gym today, and in the uh, the two blocks it took me to get home, it started pouring down, flooded the street, and then I got home, and as I walked in the front gate, it stopped raining. <laughs> <laughs> you think you, you should actually be happy because you were, you were washed clean after the gym. Yeah. <laughs> instead I, don't of washing. I don't need to have my weekly shower this week. Well, thinking more of the fact that normally that, that two blocks walk home, you'd be sweating again as you just been jumping on the treadmill yeah yeah so, so you it was would've... nice having cool rain see there's always a positive there is and the um bloke who's all grumpy about having to have it to have an extra shower is the professor to be so clear far... i'm not that much of a neck beard i shaved last night wow was that the weekly shave or the monthly <laughs> <laughs> uh what am i saying we're all neck beards yeah. i'm not i've seen your beard buck Oh, I've trimmed it since you saw it last. Ah, uh, you sneaky bugger. Yeah, <laughs> I even shaved my neck. But moving along, um, anything exciting this week, apart from the fact you had an extra shower and a shave? I have MBN now. You have MBN? Yes, it means I finally have a uh, stable internet connection that does better than speeds and doesn't drop out for most of the day. Unless it gets wet. <laughs> oh, actually, well, it's it rained today and my internet didn't drop out. Crikey. I know. It's a miracle. Telstra's done something right. What's going on? Uh, this wasn't Telstra. This was MBN Co. Okay. I'm still looking for um, dogs and cats and aliens falling from the sky. But moving on to the first topic. Um, first up this week, we have the fact that Toyota has joined Jobby Aviation to expand their repertoire of transportation. So for those who aren't aware of who Jobby Aviation is, they're working on an air car. So essentially a giant drone crossed with a helicopter that you can fly. And Toyota has invested $394 million into Jobby in an attempt to improve its um, transportation options. And in this case, it's an all commercialized version of an all-electric vehicle with vertical takeoff and landing. So what's the footprint of this thing? Can I fly it in and land on my balcony? <laughs> Probably not. As I said, it's kind of like it's crossed between a giant drone and a helicopter. So you know those drones that have got the six blades, the, the six um, rotors sticking, fan out in a hexagon pattern? This looks like one of those mounted on top of a um, helicopter pod with a, um, looks like a turbofan mounted on top of it to give it forward forward thrust. So it's a, it's a helicopter with more blades, just with uh, more rotors, just smaller. So, yeah, it's honestly, I, I, could, I could see myself having a, a good fun time driving one of these. The best thing is, um, the estimates at the present is that 
Um, it will go 241 kilometers on a single charge. That's pretty decent for an electric helicopter. Yeah. Certainly beat the um, guy who had the drones to hooked up to a chair to go fishing. <laughs> yeah, did they ever catch that guy? I'm not sure. I hope not. It's honestly, he deserves deserves to get a medal rather than a charge, but of course they're going to charge it because they're the fun police. But um, well, I feel like you'd have something to say if you were just sitting in your backyard enjoying a drink, and then some guy dropped out of the sky because he didn't shock himself in. But he was over the water. Oh, okay. The the photos I saw, he came in low over. Oh, seemed okay. to be in low over some people. Well, they might have been his friends. Yeah. So everyone's always got to take an, a grumpy negative view on things. That'd be positive. But getting back to the topic, um, the model that's pictured in the link that we've got there is called the S4, and that's the one that will travel 241 kilometres. And... It's designed to scoot around the city, although given the size of the picture, it looks like it's taking up, I don't know if it's a two-car garage or bigger. Yeah, it looks like that, but that is just a mock-up. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably going to be more than a two-car garage, though, because it looks like it's got a person sitting in the centre there at the cockpit in the picture. So, it's a, so the, the body is going to be at least two people wide. So, yeah, the cockpit's going to be about the size of a um, Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, it looks like it will be quite large. So, but, hey, I, honestly, I reckon it's going to be pretty cool. The interesting, um, another interesting fact is it's got a speed of approximately 322 kilometres an hour. That's very decent for a helicopter. So, yes, the... Um, Overall performance on this is pretty good. It's also got um, tilt on the props as well. So it's similar to the, in some ways to the Osprey plane that the Americans have. So, yes, I, I could quite happily go for a ride in one of these. What do you guys reckon? You want yeah, take, to take, take a trip down the Gold Coast and back? <laughs> Fly over the top of the freeway as all the cars are blocked in traffic on um, their way back or way down on a public holiday? Now, I wouldn't mind it, but I wouldn't want everyone else to have one because some people drive <laughs> badly enough in two dimensions. Can you imagine the road rage? Mo- can you imagine the helicopter, the crimes known as helicopter rage when all everyone starts riding this thing? Hey, 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 hey. This is getting closer to what the Jetsons had, and we're in the year where the Jetsons had stuff like this. Oh, yes. <laughs> So, and we've got AI that's good enough to drive cars around, and we've got the Russians building robots with guns, so yes, we can have robot police. Flying an aircraft is a lot easier for an AI than driving a car. Yeah. Most commercial flights are, like, 99% automated. It's yep. just up to the pilot to program the system, take over if there's anything that goes wrong. Um, yeah, but then they also yeah. have to take into account, though, that there will be some Yahoo going, like... Screw this! I'm gonna fly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna control the plane. <laughs> I want to yeah, have but, fun. Yeah, but there's a thing called the FAA. Which, FAA, CASA, whatever the Europeans have. They, they, they have these. Them. They have these rules with aircraft, and it's they got they got governance items in there. And if this is going to be driven by the general public, it'll be you won't be able to switch off the anti-collision stuff. It'll be permanently locked in. So you can't run into each other. You can't fly into the sides of buildings. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it'll likely be a uh, require a pilot's license to fly, and the um, the article suggests that this would be a taxi. Yeah. So I know Uber in New York is actually partnered with a helicopter taxi company. Mm-hmm. So they'll pick you up in that car and drive you to the uh, helicopter pickup point, and then you get flown across the city and so on. You know so, where it's going to be the biggest market for these? China. Yeah. Not Brazil. Oh. Brazil already has um, a massive network of helicopter taxis where they actually pick people up on the top of the building and fly them to wherever they've got to go. See, and I, I mean, that's oh. that's 100% legit. They've got people that they're helicopter pilots and they get up in the morning and they go to work and literally that's all they do all day is they just fly point to point to point to point to point, just picking up and dropping people off in the city of like Rio de Janeiro or whatever. See, I thought China would be the would be the biggest market because I mean China were the first or the first people no. to have air drone taxis in the first place. Yeah, but the air quality over there is not the best. Yeah, that's the so that's it, the it that that kind of struggles and it impacts on the um, performance. So yeah, it's kind of hard to have a helicopter or a, a drone flying flying around the place when the air is clogging up the engine and making it drop from the sky. Speaking of which, they don't mention here anything about the um, crash safety stuff. Yeah, what would be interesting to see is, um, I don't remember who has it, but one company has a complete airframe parachute for their light aircraft. So in the event of a complete failure, you can just hit a button and it pops out a parachute and carries you down. That's actually coming out in a lot of planes now. They actually have a special um, frame that builds into the back of most of the light planes. And, yeah, when when you have an emergency, you can hit the emergency release and it pops out a, a big parachute or a triple chute, whatever it is, and lowers it to the ground. I've seen that a few times, but, yeah. I'm liking everything about this is just looking really cool. Like they got, as I said before, they've got the S4, which has a range of 241 kilometers for one charge. But they've also got an S2, which is the first prototype, which is a two-seat tilt prop. So it's going to, these things are going to be fun. My only concern is the fact that it's a Toyota, <laughs> and we're likely to, give it given that fact. How many Fast and Furious movies is it going to be before they have one of these in it now? Like this, okay. They're talking like now that they've got the Space Force for the Americans, that they're <laughs> going to have um, Fast and Furious 23 is going to be battling aliens. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Can you imagine Vin Diesel at, at, the, at this Fast and Furious home? This time it's personal. I'm That's literally the plot of Trash Team Racing. <laughs> An alien comes to whatever world Crash Bandicoot lives in and says, you have to race me. If I win the race, I will turn your planet into a car park. Well, there you go. Someone wrote a song about that called Big Yellow Taxi. <laughs> anyway, um, so honestly, I, this is like everything about this is just looking really cool and I hope that this works and we can see it in the future. So, yeah. And I like the fact that um, one of the one of the um, statements from Jobby is they want to make a, an affordable mode of transportation for everyone. So they're partnering with the right people because Toyota are pretty good with that sort of stuff. But 
talking about um, space travel, I've also got a link here. I don't know if you guys have had a look at it yet, where Lexus has released images of space vehicles for humans on the moon. No segue, Buck. Thank you very much. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm a little bit disconcerted because when you first open the linking, the first one you come to kind of looks like a um, cross between the pe- a pen and a hair straightening iron, you know, those ones the girls have that heat up. and Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, <laughs> a, a curling iron or straightening <laughs> iron, whatever. Yeah, but it's got the Lexus logo on the side. Um, I reckon Star Citizen could, might be um, sealing some of these. <laughs> yeah. But there's also um, a Lexus, um, I don't know whether you call it a, a space bike or a moon bike or whatever. These are yeah. all conceptual artworks, but yeah. Can you imagine these types of devi- these types of um, space vehicles used in racing? I can see this as a race, more like a race vehicle. Well, like that um, race car thing. That hover bike reminds me a lot of uh, Rendezvous with Rama, where hover bike racing was an Olympic sport. Mm-hmm. And also cross with Tron, where they have the big electric motorbike. Um, also. Um, if you look at the bike, change the rider's outfit to white and put him on the, the moon of Endor. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. But it, uh, yeah. that, mo- that motorbike um, is actually a magnetic levitation. So it's think of, think of the maglev um, bullet trains. That's how this is going to operate. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work just, like, out on the open field. You'd probably be limited to the roads. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to operate either, but these are all just concept drawings. But it was something I came across and I thought, this is looking really cool. It is. But it's good to see Alexis being one of the first few people to come up with ideas. So that's the, that's the thing. Like, you got like, I love when people put these sorts of things out. And let's not forget, Lexus is actually a subsidiary of Toyota. So once again, Toyota's really going out to the absolute top lines of things. So sure, their moon car looks more like a curly nine or whatever, but we've got to start somewhere. Yeah, there's actually a um, an article in that link book with all of the uh, designs that they came up with. Is that the um, created or the Lexus press room? Okay. I'll just throw the link in the notes there for you. So they have a uh, four-wheel drive, a bouncing moon roller, which looks a bit like those spheres out of um, Jurassic World, but it can bounce somehow. Okay. Some sort of uh, uh, look a bit. They look a bit like personal aircraft. Sorry, I just I I clicked on the link for the LF30 electric concept. Sorry. Ah. Naughty me. Yeah. yeah. So the um. Ah. So one of them is a. Lexus spacecraft for flying to the moon, a moon racer, which uses um, a very aerodynamic style body with absolutely giant wheels and a more traditional six wheeled rover type vehicle. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to work out what the pink circle is at the front of the um, curling iron. I think yeah. that's the mag. But, it, but it's, um, it's a moon car. It's not the maglev thing. Huh. Yeah, I'm assuming some sort of um, some part of the propulsion mechanism because yeah. they also have a uh, what well, looks like a 
space station with more long-range spacecraft, sort of like the Discovery from 2001, A Space Odyssey, with the spinning rings and the dome at the front. Yeah, well, I'm looking... um, Fluoros at the back. The the curling one is actually called the Lexus Cosmos. Um, The Cosmos features a fully sculpted glass shape that functions as a massive observatory to not only enjoy the view, but also explore the low-gravity phenomenon with a rear cockpit that emphasizes the driving feel and a front portion, which is above the pink circle, dedicated to contemplation. Ah, yes, I, I see how this works now. So the large space station style craft is the Lexus mothership for traveling around the solar system and the uh, Cosmos uh, exploration module drops off it and becomes a separate pod that can go on day trips. And it's a perfect vehicle to sit in when you're doing your meditation. Yes. And they have a space swimming pool, which looks like a zero-G chamber. And the the moon bounce roller. Um, It looks like one of those unicycles where they sit inside the wheel. Yeah, and they can do bunny hops. Mm -hmm. You've got to be careful, though, because the cockpit and batteries sit together. It's a merger of both. Hmm. So it's not only the... um the not only the 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 uni the power the motorcycle more the unicycle it's also the uh, you know the balls that you get into as you're cl- going downhill mm-hmm. oh yeah. zorb balls yeah those ones as well giant hamster balls yeah yeah so yeah folks um there's definitely some amazingly cool pieces in here and if they ever come up with any of them and make them work uh, i reckon it'd be cool to give it a go I want to see Top Gear do an episode of that. I don't know. Just do be a, a Top long. Gear build challenge where they have to build the uh, Earth versions of these vehicles using whatever it is they have in the warehouse. <laughs> is Top Gear still going? Yes, but not a uh, not very popular as far it's as a I know. Shadow of a, of a former self, but yeah, I want to see Jer- I want to see like James May and Richard Hammond and. Jeremy Clarkson do it, do something with like the moon roll bouncer, bouncing moon roller, for example. Okay. Um, well, okay. Apparently, Top Gear apparently is still going. Yes. Kind of sad that. But um, yeah, James May apparently is looking at retiring. Apparently, he's um, getting to the point where he wants to relax a bit more and survive. I feel like he hasn't ever done anything but relax. <laughs> um, the last episode, like, like the um. Season four, episode one. They were they um of Grand Tour. Grand Tour. They went across um into the open ocean water in their boats, which were supposed to be river boats. Oh, and James Mays was literally a tiny little putt along, very small river boat. And yeah, I can see how that he, would be terrifying. Well, it it was getting knocked about pretty bad. Um, Clarkson was in an actual. Um, military river river boat that the, the Americans had used. He only just made it acro- across. Um, Hammond was in a um, they they called it the pawn set, but it was it's designed for um, like the inter- intercontinental coastal waterways around Florida. So it's like a giant cigar boat and similar to what they had in um, Miami Vice back in the eighties. Um, he struck. He almost died a couple of times, and apparently he got really really sick from infections so yeah it's i don't think that they will be around for doing anything like this at the moment yeah okay that's very different to the days when um they'd be like let's build boats and 
James May would just come in with a little sailing boat. Yeah, well, you got to look at the fact that there. I think um, James May's over sixty, and Clarkson's the same. Rich yeah. Hammond's fifty something, and Richard did like get horribly injured a couple of years back, numerous times. Yeah, he's um, when he was doing Top Gear, he flipped an electric car, or was that in um, the Grand I Tour? I think that was the Grand Tour. Gear. Yeah, that was a Grand Tour. He almost died in a crash in Top Gear with the drag car doing the speed record run. And then in Grand Tour, he did a hill climb in an all-electric vehicle and drove it off the road and it rolled down the side of a mountain. And they were still putting the like the batteries in the car were still coming back to life in, for fire um, weeks later. Yeah. So... Yes, they made made a lot of fun of him. Like, they were showing me a picture and oh, hang up, no, sorry, and turn it upside down. This might look more like it for you, <laughs> but yeah, like literally, as much as I'd love to see them do some stuff like this, yeah, I don't know if they'll be around still. But anyway, I think we've probably rabbited on enough about this sort of stuff. Let us know what you think, people. If you um, enjoyed any of them, um, but moving along. Um, our next topic is from DJ. Yes. So a couple of days ago, the Producers Guild of America Awards came out and we have some very, very big winners. The biggest one would be 1917, which won um, the award for Best Film. In the, the outstanding pro- and, uh, in terms of outstanding producer of theatrical motion pictures. So... Mm-hmm. Um, other awards also um, were given out on this night. Um, for example, Toy Story 4 was given Outstanding Producer of Animated Theatrical Motion Pictures and Apollo 11 for Outstanding Producer of Documentary Theor- Theatrical Motion Pictures. So, And a couple of um, TV – and there were a couple of TV awards as well that came out. But, yeah, 1917 being the biggest winner, um, it – Tells a it, it's a sign that maybe um, 1917 might win the Best Picture Award for the Academy Awards. Well, Buck went, was telling me earlier that he's been to see it. So what did you think, Buck? I thought it was awesome. Um, it's literally like one of the best dramas I've seen for a long time. It's, it sits up there alongside um, the, like War Horse and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a feel-good movie. It, it is literally a real drama. And you don't even notice how long it's been going for. You sit there and you're on the edge of your seat pretty much the whole way through. And the most interesting fact is um, uh, who who was the producer? Sam Mendes? Yeah. At the end of it, it comes up, or or I think it is, it's um, dedicated to his grandfather. Yeah. Who told him all the stories that were inspirational for the for the film. So, yeah. And I like how his producer also um, decided to contribute to this, to Sam's speech by saying in these times of division and conflict around the world, I really hope it's just a reminder to never take for granted the peace that we all inherited. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, the first world war was the war to end all wars. And yeah. <laughs> look how we're going now. No, no, no. The first world war was the great war. That's the reason why they had World War Two. They had too much fun, so they had to have World War Two, and that was the war to end all wars. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> no, literally, that was the title. Like they, they, when they referred to World War One, it was the Great War. Yeah, and World War Two was the war to end all wars. Really, I thought World War One was known as both of them. Um, no, 
Um, not not that I've ever heard it put that way, but yeah, World War One they should have learnt how horrible things were going, and everyone should just step back and think about it a bit more. But yeah, they went ahead and had World War Two anyway, which honestly it was such a short space between World War One and World War Two that people who served in World War One served in World War Two. Yeah, the uh, the famous Dad's Army. No, not even Dad's Army. Like I mean, active personnel because you had some of the guys who joined up in uh, World War One were only 15 when they joined yeah, or younger in some cases. And um, so when World War II came around, they were still young enough. They went in, they were just they were old soldiers. Some of them had never actually left the army. Yeah. Um, okay, so World War One also is also known as the First World War or the Great War, uh, contemptuously described as the war to end all wars. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars, but, yeah, World War Two was given the title of, the war went all walls by a lot of the diggers I've met. Well, the and- doomsday clock has just moved 20 seconds closer to midnight, so guess it's time to give it another go. <laughs> well, we already had World War Three, but that was the what was the world's shortest war. What? Sorry, it's a joke. Well, we already had World War Three, and that was a war against Iran. No, and that people, wasn't that was such a short world war. war. Hmm? No, that was like two countries. That wasn't anything like a world war. World World War is literally like pretty much every nation on the planet is involved, whether they want to be or not. Like I'm pretty sure Poland and Czechoslovakia and all of the Eastern European countries didn't actually want to be in the World War Two. They were quite happy to just be left alone. But yeah, no, World World War is yeah, that's devastating. That that, that yeah, the, the stuff between America and Iran is, is that's not even a war. That's just a that's just a conflict. Yeah. Like even even the Korean War, that wasn't a war. That was a police action. Yeah. Anyways, I think we're kind of, we're kind of drifting off topic here. But um, yeah. what did you okay with nineteen seventeen? What was the best part of nineteen seventeen that you liked about it? Like, did you like the technica- technicalities in it? Like the whole how whole thing was shot in one one scroll or the um, pacing of it? Or yeah, the pacing of it was brilliant. The um, authenticity as well. So. Like the actual costumes that they're wearing were, uh, were actually like proper uniforms and what the soldiers would have been wearing. So in a couple of the scenes, you see them standing there and they've got their um, tunics on their uh, tunics open a little bit at the, the collar area. And you can see they've got like seven, seven or more layers of clothing in there trying to keep warm. Plus they've got the leather vest over the top and all the kit that they had to carry. But um, it's also... As I said, like the authenticity, the realism. So one part, they've got the rats. Like they're going through all the different um, trenches and they go into some tunnels and they've got rats all around the place. And it's, it's also very British on the humour because they get, they've got the rats in the English trenches and areas and near, when they come out into no man's land. But when they get into German areas, the rats are bigger. And they, one of the guys actually goes, even their rats are bigger over here. so it's not actually shot in one take because that would be extremely difficult but it is edited so it seems that way and it has a lot of long single take shots yeah it was two or or three days okay so the the whole plot line takes two or three days well he's um the 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 story is he's got to deliver a mission to stop a troop advancement attack on the German lines and he's got to be there before dawn the next day. So it's early in the morning and basically it's 
within that 24-hour period just trying to get a, get through this area, which is supposedly no man's land, but and used to be owned by the Germans and all the stuff they go through. So yeah, by the time they get you get to the end of it, it's an emotional roller coaster ride, and yeah. Just curiously though, Buck, did the did the whole the whole film being taken on one continuous shot? Did that kind of threw you off, or did you like that style? Well, it wasn't in one continuous shot. It was just telling the story as no as a as a just a continuous flow but it changed angles well enough and like i'm not gonna ruin it for anyone but yeah you you watch it and it's it's not one continuous shot it flows the camera moves around and pans but there are a couple of scenes there where it does cut and and change angles yeah but all up it was it's one of the best films i've seen in a long time and it has that very dry British humour about things. Even the story, like what they tell a story at one point about how a guy lost his ear, and when you when you hear that, you you're gonna laugh. Like it's it's a funny story, and yeah, the guy talks about he's always telling everyone apparently he had his ear shot off, but apparently the real story is much more interesting. And this is one of the stories that Sam Mendes was told by his grandfather. So you you, you got to look at some of these, and you just you, you can actually see some of these things happening and the way it's delivered is just so brilliant. So, yeah, honestly, I reckon this should win the Academy Awards and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but the competition they're going up against, it's... Yeah, but this this has got so much substance and it's not a lot of the... Like, you got a lot of the other stuff coming in. Like, The Irishman, yeah, I can see that being pretty good in as against it. Um, but once it's upon a time in Hollywood, like I'm, I don't know, I can't really see that beating it. There's um, two good ones though, like Parasite, yeah, Marriage Story, um, Joker. I think Joker. Everyone wants Joker to win it. <laughs> they just want well, Joker to win it. But see, that's just the Hollywood hype thing. So, like, The Irishman is a great movie, and 1917 is a great movie as well. Um. Honestly, I, I, I hope 1917 wins it because like, it's based on true stories and it's not a World War II movie where they're invading Normandy. So like this this is literally just a small one, one of the, the, the many small stories that came out of World War One, And it's got the very typical British World War I soldier disdain for medals where one of the guys has got a medal and... He, he he's lost it. I won't tell you how he's lost it, but when you hear it, if you watch the movie and when you hear that part, you'll sit there and you'll just go, "Yeah, okay, I can see there's there's more value in that." So yeah, is it better? Okay, I got a question for you. Is this one better than Dunkirk? I wouldn't say better. It's different. It's good. Like the cinematography, the the way it flows. You you will literally you'll you'll watch it and you go, "Yeah, okay, it's a, it's a totally different situation." But it is brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else there, or should we move on to the next? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, we you should. We, we, sh- we should make. We should um, do some predictions so when, as soon as Oscars come in on who who should win what. So, but maybe maybe another time. Yeah. Well, have we got the list of who's been nominated for Oscars yet? Uh, I think we do, but yeah, we'll that'll be another time. But um, okay. yeah, the, the nominations came out a while back, so. Yeah. Okay. And next up we have Professor with 
The um, white whale. <laughs> yes, a quick update on uh, the Crytek and Soil Citizen lawsuit. So the person who's been posting on Reddit about this has given an update that uh, just the two aspects of the case that COAG are claiming are the only two that are valid are, um, are regarding the licensing issue. <clears throat> Which COIG are claiming that the license they got from Amazon covered, like for the Lumberyard engine, covers the previous versions of CryEngine that make it legal for them to do what they're doing. Because apparently it took a year and a half after filing the lawsuit for Crytek to go to Amazon and say, hey, did you guys license the engine to uh, COIG? <laughs> because the answer might potentially have quite some influence on our evaluation of the legal situation. <laughs> Yeah. yeah uh, wait, wait, wait. So say that time frame again. A year? A year and a half. But let's, <laughs> let's be honest, though, here, though. With with things involving CIG, a year and a half is <laughs> the equivalent of a month or a week to everyone else. Like, they've got a game that they've been developing for 10 years, and it's still not fully released. They're only in the alpha stage. They haven't even hit the beta stage. Yeah, so um, CIG's statement says, this action should never have been brought. Dismissal is long overdue and proper. What would not be proper is dismissing the action without prejudice, without conditions. So CIG want it dismissed, but with prejudice, so that they c the case can't be brought against them again. Mm -hmm. uh, Crytek want it dismissed without prejudice, so they can continue to gather evidence and wait for them to actually uh you know actually violate the agreement before they come back and try to sue them again mm -hmm. so in other words this is is jeff bezos that owns amazon yeah, yeah. it's all his fault <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's be fair here the poor bloke has just gone through a divorce and lost close to 50 billion dollars what was it 43 billion dollars he had to pay out to his wife so yeah so you can understand him being distracted there i'm sure jeff doesn't have uh direct oversight of the lumberyard licensing so but, um crytek are also sorry cig are also saying that crytek have sacrificed legal sufficiency for outlandish allegations so they're claiming that uh crytek have attempted to use public interest in the case as part of their like to bolster their position honestly cig should be happy they're getting advertising and people are interested are paying attention to them again it was kind of like yeah not worth it but now apparently there's a bit of life in the story i'm loving the fact cig has spent now this is these this is the people who have gotten how many millions 100 millions 300 million is it yeah on, kick, on kickstarter or whatever they spent more than nine hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees and costs whittling down crytek's case yeah, these big budget law cake lawsuits are nuts. So I mean, it took nine hundred thousand dollars to come to the agreement that uh, nothing. <laughs> but to put it into perspective, though, that's thirty three and a third of their top line ultra fleets. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just going to sell the equipment of thirty three and a third of people buying every ship in the game. Well, that's on a special for... deal of $27,000. If you buy them individually, I'm sure it's probably going to cost you more than that. But, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, literally, I think they've probably paid some of the attorneys by going, look, we'll give you this fleet. 
It's worth twenty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah, that's and not really much of a sweetener just to ask the attorney to look into your case, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, no, fits, maybe the it fits with CIG's overall profile. Yeah, true. Wait, we, we have a we 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 have a game idea. Can people give us money? <laughs> we we won't anyway, give you anything in return. It'll be interesting to see where this goes now. Uh, whether they finally dismiss it without prejudice, or if um, Crytek are even still around in the future to provide a uh, like to take this to court in the future, because Crytek have not been doing well financially. Well, if they go, doesn't that mean their engine goes? Uh, no, because Amazon licensed the full source code, as I understand it. So Amazon have basically forked the uh, CryEngine version whatever it was when they bought it to oh, okay. create Lumberyard. And then Amazon are going to continue supporting Lumberyard into the future because Lumberyard is built to function with the Amazon services. Okay. See, that was the mistake. Crytek should have sold it to EA because then Crytek would be making money from all the surprise mechanisms. Oh, no. <laughs> EA doesn't want CryEngine, though. EA just wants to try and smash everything possible into... Uh, Frostbite. Okay. Let's not forget that it's not only EA, um, Blizzard as well. You know, yeah. actually, uh, CryEngine probably has better netcode than Fallout 76. <laughs> he, but here's my gripe with this with this game, with this um, lawsuit, though. I mean, instead of wasting, this is becoming a big hassle for both of these companies. Like both companies are not don't, didn't ultimately didn't really win anything in the end. Yeah, I think that you know who did win the lawyers. The lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> nine hundred grand from uh, CIG. There's a comment here saying one point six million from no, sorry, one point one million from Crytek. So Jesus. yeah, the lawyers won. And the legal system because it's legal yeah. legal fees and court court fees. In the end, Crytek aren't in any better position than they were. Star Citizen's not any closer to being released because of this lawsuit. Will the, okay, here, my question would be, will this be reverberate around the gaming world or will this be one of those, eh, it doesn't really affect us in the, in the big picture sense, so not, it won't do anything to us? Like, will gaming studios look at this and go, we go, re, we go pay attention to this? Well, I think if, um, especially if Crytek get dismissed with prejudice, the uh, licensing CryEngine will be seen as a risky move in the future because mm-hmm. you don't know that they're not going to decide to come after you for something that's not true. So if CryEngine managed to hold on for another few years, I mm. I would genu- genuinely wonder whether it's worth licensing their engine. Mm. But um, so just to clarify this... CIG licensed with the CryEngine for yeah. Star Ripoff. Yes. But then they licensed with Lumberyard for Squadron 42. Uh, not really. So Lumberyard is a fork of CryEngine. They started on CryEngine and because um, they weren't happy with the support offered by Crytek and because they wanted to move into Amazon's uh, services, they then switched the license to Lumberyard. But uh, from the beginning, like I'd have to check a timeline, but pretty much from from the beginning, they uh, purchased when they purchased uh, CryEngine, they were always planning on 
splitting Star Citizen and Squadron 42 into separate products. So I think they probably had the license for uh, the original sorted out. And when they moved to Amazon, they licensed the entire engine, so there were no limits on what they made. Hmm. Just seems a little bit dodgy. And this is going to affect... I think this will if this will affect um, Star CIG very badly. Well, CIG's just lost four hundred grand so far because the uh, one of the comments here says that the um, that Crytek will owe five hundred thousand. So CIG's just spent nine hundred grand getting five hundred thousand back. Uh, it's cost Crytek one point six million dollars to get nowhere. Mm. But you're gonna like. The entire ethos around um, CIG is looking dodgier and dodgier. Like moving the way that they've done the move across, like that, and then the, the, the way they're jumping up and down now and making such massive statements about this and everything now that it's being pushed aside, kind of makes it sound a little bit dodgy with what's happening. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. I mean, there haven't yet been any successful lawsuits against. Uh... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. CIG. Mm-hmm. Well, they got money. To, they, they got enough money to throw nine hundred thousand dollars at a lawyer, thanks to Kickstarter. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, hang on. Yeah, you, you, got here. you got a bit more. So my next bit's uh, Google Stadia, which sucks. Okay. <laughs> so oh, the, we can move on now, or do you want to elaborate? Uh, well, it's been two months since Stadia came out, and the comments on Reddit are pretty damning. Then it's had no tail. There's um, they launched the console and didn't produce, like, didn't continue adding features. Haven't released too many more games. It's, um, well, I think they um, did, when they going to get something from CRG? <laughs> no, uh, luckily. <laughs> I was going to say they still got plenty of time. Yeah, if they were going to get any CRG stuff, but um. So they they launched in November and said that they initially you'd have to pay 130 bucks for the subscription for three months of access to Stadia Pro, which is um, free games went each month, which is a big selling point for the subscription services these days, um, and lets you stream it, the games at 4K. Okay. Now there's no news about the free version of services going to launch this year yet. So whether that's still happening, it is early days, obviously. Although it's funny how um, a uh, lot of people have been getting saying, "No, nah, that's it. I'm, that's it. I'm not playing Stadia anymore." Yeah, well, you can't even pair the gamepad with a Pixel phone. Apparently, <laughs> two Google products can't even work together. <laughs> you have to use a USB cable to make it work, and the games aren't 
a discount discounted or anything like uh, epic tried to provide good discounts for games to encourage people to move over to their store mm-hmm. so in, in other words they've got a, um they got a technical advisor from apple because you got to buy more and more pieces to make it work yeah that's uh, a pretty apple design making it so that you need a cable to make it work. that's about well, yeah. as apple is putting the charging port on the bottom of the mouse well, even better now with Apple is, you know, the button and all that buttons you used to have on your Apple iPhones? Yeah. That's now a special attachment you have to buy separate. So if you want to plug an earphone, a headphone jack in, yeah, you have to buy another attachment to have that attach. Otherwise, it's got to be Bluetooth. The interesting thing with Google Stadia for me is how many people – um, Google used to advertise the thing. Like I was, I'm watching a video how Jack Skeptii had used Google Stadia just to tell, like, ah, oh, yes, try, try um, Google Stadia, everybody. Yeah, it had a huge marketing push, which has completely fallen off. I've heard basically nothing about it since it launched. Is there mm-hmm. going to be yet another Google product that never uh, comes to fruition, like Google Glasses? Uh... Although you know, all of. Honestly, the um, Google Glasses thing, I remember reading about the original concept design behind that back when I was in high school. That's how old that technology is. Yeah, it's very old tech, but um, no one's ever managed to bring it to wide market yet. Probably just the pricing and the stuff. But then they were just like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. And then it's always killed by Google, which is a, uh, a website documenting every project they start and then cancel (laughs) so here's a question for you guys with terms of google stadia can you see this model sustain sustain itself in the next few years with all these um bugs and stuff being patched up basically i think it would probably be suitable for most people but it uh if they're not going to have exclusives or any real advantage there's no voice chat or anything. It's not a self-contained unit by itself. Right? Hey, no voice chat might... means I don't have to listen to a, That's s- a, bonus. a speaker. <laughs> yep. So if you buy a uh, if you buy a PlayStation, you can hook up all of voice chat and everything straight away. The mm. Stadia, you only get the controller, no voice chat, missing a bunch of features that they promised would be in it. Uh, yeah, I. There's a fairly scathing review here from Reddit. For anyone who's that's been around for a new gaming console coming out, it's crazy for the first year of it coming out. Huge lineup of games constantly being thrown out. This feature, can this guy stop saying out at the end of every sentence? This feature, that feature all being announced. So much fun, out. Here I am trying to enjoy and justify the $130 I spent on this, and I just can't at this point. We got tricked into being beta testers, and it pisses me off, out. <laughs> Like over and out. (laughs) No, that's wrong. (laughs) You say over at the end of your statement. You say out when you're done with the call. Saying over and out is basically saying bye, bye as well. (laughs) No, well, it's more like I'm done and bye. If you say bye, then duh, of course you're done. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking like he's fitting well with this guy's overall syntax. Yeah, maybe maybe he thinks he's been. Really intelligent and cool, but isn't quite as clever as he thought. Can you imagine Google Stadia making an appearance in this year's E3? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if um something happened with it at uh, like, one of the big conferences. Who but is actually appearing at E3? Be, 
Well, Sony said they're bailing out this year again. Yeah. Well, let's let's be fair. Like when they do turn up, they do turn up. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't do shoddy presentations like um, EA, where they had heaps and heaps and heaps of hype, and then we had the um, pathetic um, release for Fallout seventy six. Oh yeah. Um, I literally like the two two people, two studios you really want to see out of the main ones that. Um, E3 or Sony and um, uh, what's the name? Microsoft? No, Devolver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, everyone else is kind of like padding. You got those two and the independents. And a lot of the others are just, they're just becoming a, a, a cotton wool fog. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I'm getting kind of sick of, but I, I, I'm not even interested in seeing some of them anymore because it's just gotten so bland. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a bit disappointing these days. Still not dis- disappointing as seventy six though. So there's more <laughs> attendees than seventy six. Actually, here's something interesting to consider: Star Citizen must have more people playing that than Fallout seventy six. <laughs> should we ask our Should we ask our listeners like, which one would you rather? Which would play a game of Would you rather? Like, would you rather play Fallout seventy six or Star Citizen? Just let's tell. Let's ask our audience that that question. Well, I want to play with the twenty seven thousand dollars Starfleet. <laughs> like that, that's that that's got to be awesome. Like twenty seven thousand dollars. That thing should be so good that I can, while I'm playing in the game and operating my fleet, I can tell my fleet that I want pizza or Indian or Chinese, and it gets delivered to me <laughs> by the game. Yeah, I'm trying to find player stats for it and uh, can't find any for Star Citizen. <laughs> which makes sense. It's still in alpha. <laughs> and Fallout 76, they probably aren't uh, going to make any sort of de- big deal about the player count in Fallout 76 because it's probably a bit embarrassing. Lonely. Oh, so lonely. Like the, the the Steam charts for Fallout 76 would just be non-existent. Well, it's not on Steam, so... Yeah, but if it was on Steam, it. it would just be yeah. a... <laughs> well, the, the, the people for uh, Fallout 76 have have a th- have a, an alarm goes off. Someone's actually playing! <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick, someone's playing! <laughs> well, considering um, a few months back I watched a live stream by playing the 76 Battle Royale mode, uh, and he ran into the same players a couple of times. I can't imagine the player counts that big. They actually had a uh, Battle uh, Royale that succeeded. Yeah. How many, how many people uh, were A lot in... of people were saying this is the best part of 76. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how, uh, I bet you how many of them have spent 100 bucks for that Fallout first package? I have no idea how you tell. <laughs> You can tell like the, the level of disappointment. <laughs> They're the people with the plastic bag and the shiny jacket and funny helmet <laughs> that they don't take out in public. I have a question for you guys. So we're kind of bearing off a bit with um, Stadia. They were saying here that um, Google might concentrate on timed exclusives. So you reckon that will help? That will help Stadia's case well, using that model. 
every console tries to do that. Even Epic Store has. And we've just got to see what happens. You can't really predict that. Well, the thing that Stadia should do is allow access to Steam through Stadia. Yeah, if you could access every Steam game through Stadia. I don't know how they do the licensing, though. But um, you still, like, you, you, uh, your account in Stadia. Yeah, maybe. Is, accesses your, uh, your account. You can merge the two. You can, like, you, you can yeah. log in through your Stadia account and access your Steam account. I wonder then, if the licensing would allow them to, like, they're already basically running it as a VPS, running um, the game, then live streaming it over the Stadia to you. I wonder yeah. if the licensing on Steam would allow you to run a VPS streaming service like that. Like, if they did that, I could see that being a game changer for both because, like, Epic Game Store and all that would suddenly start to shrivel up because you got two mega giants of companies working together to make this happen that it would literally be like jumping out of a sauna for like getting 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 a bike to jump out of a sauna and run across and jump into the ice water like they have the polar iceberg polar bears or the icebergs whatever it is that jump in the they have the holes cut in the lake yeah the the sauna snow rolling thing they do yeah well they jump in they they jump out of the sauna and they run across and they jump into the yeah through the hole in the ice into the water like literally i reckon that's pretty much what epic would be doing because all parts of your anatomy would be shrinking up and shriveling and kind of disappearing and you'd just be going oh my goodness that wasn't such a good idea <laughs> but yeah like literally like stadia google uh, google um steam valve if you're listening this is this is something that would work and if it, you, you do do it i want to cut okay you heard it <laughs> you heard it from nerds amalgamated it's our idea we want to cut. We we do the advertising and are there for the release. You sponsor us for a decade or something. I don't know. <laughs> but here's my gripe, though. If okay, let's say Stadia and Steam do a do a merger. You're, you're, gri- you're gripe. You had a gripe on the last one. What are you talking? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm I'm. I and think you call me grumpy. Aura, I think the professor's aura is coming to me now. Like, hang on, you always call me the grumpy one to have on the ranch. What are you going on there now? <laughs> you're taking my crown. <laughs> yeah, DJ, don't do this. You don't want to do this. <laughs> the other problem with Stadia is the pricing model. It like Steam's it's like Steam's controllers are. Twice as cheaper than Stadia's controllers. Are they? Yeah, like what? Like a Stadia controller. Like if if you want to get the Founders Edition, for example, it's like a hundred and thirty bucks. That's American. more than a controller, though. That's the controller, the Chromecast, three months of Stadia Pro. Yeah, and if you go to Steam, it's just you get the controller and you plug it in and you play. That's it. You're all good. You're all set. But they yeah, don't have. Still do they have the, a controller? They did up until like part. a month ago. Yeah, but the point being is that Steam's controllers are much more like reliable. Yeah, you're not listening to me, DJ, because yeah. the Stadia is the Stadia, the Chromecast, and Stadia Pro. The Steam controller is a Steam controller. You still need something to hook up to your TV and something to get the games from. So they're completely different products. Mm. The Stadia is essentially a PlayStation without the disc. Yeah. yeah, it's literally um, it's just the the Chromecast connects to your TV 
and you access all your games through that. You don't even have to have a hard drive on it for it to remember stuff. It's all done online. So Mm -hmm. for $130, that's actually pretty decent value. That's going back to what PlayStation was originally with PlayStation 1. Now, the question is, can Google keep the product going for more than six months? I'm, I'm hoping it does because it's moving in the direction where everything seems to be going. I reckon they just need to do the marriage between Stadia and Steam or or if they go with one of the others. But I, I prefer Steam because Steam's got a bigger catalogue. Yeah. Yeah. So if we can, if they do that, yeah, it, it will be going for more than six months. Um, they, they will become a mega force that would be challenging Sony's dominance in gaming. And... Let's face it, Sony's literally one of the biggest power plays in gaming out there at the moment, whether it's with the PlayStation or all the other products they have for electronics, whether it's monitors, laptops, hardware. Like they've got so much stuff that Sony's literally the king of the mountain. This would give, give them some competition so they would start kicking it up another notch. They get, they're getting a bit of a challenge from Microsoft with the Xbox, but the, the Xbox is going the way of Apple. So, yeah, Google, step up with Steam. Anyway, I think we've um, done it a that. bit. We're dragging on a bit here. Yeah. Um, moving along, um, what game have you played this week, Professor? I've played Steam World Dig. It's a Metroidvania-style game where you play as a steam-powered robot digging deeper in a mine, and uh, you just keep going deeper and deeper, finding upgrades and treasure, and eventually meeting the uh, post-apocalyptic Apocalyptic remnants of the human civilization. Okay, it has. It's very reminiscent in some ways of um, Minecraft, where you're digging to find treasure. Yeah, but I love the platform on this, and I love the artwork in it too. Yes, it's got a very nice art style, and it's this like the settings. This whole sort of wild west steampunk robot thing. It's pretty cool. Um, biggest selling point so far for you? Uh, I'm loving the sense of progression from slowly digging <clears throat> deeper. Um, Biggest sore point? Uh, I can't think of any obvious big drawbacks. Okay. And that's on the um, Nintendo Switch. Yeah, so I'm playing the Switch release, but it is on basically everything. Alrighty. Um, How many nerdy beanies? Uh, Four out of five. Okay. Okie dokie. And DJ? Yes. What game have you been playing? Um, I've been playing Project Darwin. Again, okay. I miss the. I, I love the battle royale version of this game. It's it's fun. Slack DJ. What? Same game as last week. Well, the first time I played it, yeah. <laughs> the second time. Well, no, fair enough. Like sometimes you got to play a game for more than a week to truly appreciate it. We've we've all been there. Yeah. Sometimes they're just too much fun. Yeah, yeah. The um, Darwin Project mm-hmm. has added some new additions while I was away, uh, like the nuclear option. They've added that one in recently, which I find it very, very interesting. Okay. Um, where, what, what else were there? Uh, you tell us. So there was a couple of new stuff they've added. Just need to find it in here. Um, they've added some new. They've added some levels. As well, for example, there is now um, uh, Tree Chop Villages and the City Zone as well. Okay. Have you won it yet? Uh, my highest will be second. That's my were highest. You, were you beaten by a squeaker? No, I was beaten by a boomer, unfortunately, though. Pretty, pretty nice guy, too. Fair enough. 
How did you know? Um, <clears throat> voice chat. So you were speaking to him while he was trying to kill you? Yes. That's the reason why you were trying to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> so um, how many nerdy we this week? Um, I'll give four out of five because of, of the um, new improvements. There's some nice ones. Okay. I've been playing a game called Thunder Run War of Clans, which is real-time strategy. And, yeah, you build up your base and go attack. You can, you can go attack other bases but um, at, for other players, for player versus player, but you can also do missions as well. And you have to develop your technology and upgrade all your facilities to increase your resource production and everything like that. So, yeah. Unfortunately, though, you're limited on how much you can, like how, like how many of different items you can produce, which is the biggest shortcoming I've found in it so far. What's the selling point for this game? It's a lot of fun. Um, you, you get to play with a variety of different um, units. So you have your basic soldier, you have a mortar soldier, a machine gunner, um, javelin rockets, and you can keep going up with snipers and then you get special forces and all that sort of stuff. But and then with the vehicles, you go through with your basic armoured personnel carrier, the Hummer, um, a mortar vehicle, all the way up through to tanks, and you also got helicopters. So, yeah, you also get to throw missiles at the other bases as well. So it's pretty cool. It's an uncomplicated, fun little game. So, yeah. But overall, though, due to the limitations, like, I can only have um, three machine gun towers around my base at the moment. Um, so, yeah, given that, um, I'm only going to give it three out of five nerdy beanies. Is that a limitation of uh, your skills or is it the... No, they uh, limit how, that, like you, you, you're only allowed to build three. Okay, so do you think that's a balancing issue? Yeah, because once your shielding comes off as a new player, you're open for anyone to attack. Uh, it's one of those style of games, yeah. And um, it's going to be a situation of you're going to have players there that are level 90 attacking level 20 players or whatever. And it's kind of hard to defend your base when you're limited to three machine gun towers, three mortar nests, and only so many vehicles and people at a time sort of thing. Yeah. Like you can... You, like you can win gold for different things. You can buy gold to expand it um, through microtransactions and stuff like that. But it's the, the balancing just isn't there. It's very unbalanced on that aspect. So I can see that you'll have a lot of people who come in, they'll start playing it, and then they'll hit the, hit the wall. And then it'll be like, oh, well, that's a waste. So if they can just get that balancing right, it would, I'd probably give it um, four and a half out of five. But yeah. So three and a half? No, only three. Ah, okay. But moving along now, uh, on to shout-outs. First one up this week is a sad one. On the 21st of January this year, um, Terry Jones passed away from complications of dementia at his home in Highgate, North London. Jones was a Welsh actor, writer, comedian, screenwriter, film director, and historian. He was a member of the Monty Python comedy team, and he started off after graduating from Oxford University with a degree in English, and he partnered up with Michael Palin, who was one of his friends at uni, 
and performed several high-profile British comedy programs, which end up leading into the Monty Python Flying Circus, which also included some Cambridge graduates, you know, so, such as um, Eric Idle, John Cleese, Graham Chapman, uh, etc. Blah blah blah. So yeah, unfortunately, um, a, a, a genuine comedy legend has passed um, on the nineteenth. I, I saw a great uh, cartoon obituary for Terry, where he walks through the pearly gates and sees Brian sitting in the throne. And he's like Brian. And Brian sees him, he goes, Mom! <laughs> yes. Um, for those who have seen The Life of Brian, um, Terry Jones is actually the mother who has delivered... Like, he's, he's a guy who's delivered some of the most iconic lines and characters in comedy history. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's a sad... Sad, sad day. Yeah, so he was the he, interesting. Like, so he was the director for Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yep. Oh, that must have been fun. <laughs> I, honestly, I would love to have been on the set for all of their stuff because they're all such cracker comedians that you'd be sitting there in stitches and so forth every day because they, they're just going to be having so much fun. But, yeah, unfortunately... Had to take a moment and pause there just to say farewell. On the 19th of January this year, we had Snowmageddon, um, the massive snowfall and epic blizzard that swallows entire towns in Canada and actually set a record-breaking event of snowfall in Canada, which is actually kind of scary. Um, I saw a video where someone did a time-lapse photography showing the snowfall building up at the front of their house, and they had... A, marks on the window that they wrote on at different times and this was a, a glass door on a veranda so it was back from the the snowfall but he still went to the top of the door it was blowing in that hard and it covered the entire door of, of, by the end yeah so, that's just nuts that there's been like two meters of snowfall in some areas i saw a photo of a street where every house was up to its roof or at least saw, up to the first story in snow i saw a uh, picture where um with all the snow drifts gathered um in one area outside of one of the towns that when they had the plow go through it looked like the cars that were going to drive through it were driving um down one of the main streets of new york city because the snow was so high it was wow. over six six or seven meters above the top of the car um yeah so i hope everyone's keeping safe if you're in canada or you know people in canada um Drop them a line. Make sure that they're they're okay. They probably know how to handle it better than what we would, but, yeah, better to be safe. Um, On the 19th of January, um, SpaceX had a successful mission abort test. Um, And unlike some gobbledygook idiot at Channel 7, um, NASA is not returning to space. Wait, what? (laughs) um, Channel 7's broadcast of it. And on Facebook and I think on the news said as part of NASA's return to space. Um, Obviously, they haven't really been paying attention. They've got people on the International Space Station at the moment. um, And the NASA rocket is SLS anyway, which um, is overdue and over budget. Yeah, and SpaceX is looking closer to being the 
launch vehicle for the launch team to return to the moon. So, yes. And the mission abort test is how quickly they can um, disengage and activate safety mechanisms. So, literally, they had it so that everything was only a mock mock up of everything of something going wrong but from the time that something went wrong to the time that the dragon capsule um escaped met all the requirements and was successful so yes on the and, and here's one of the best ones for the week on the 21st of january we f- i found a story cyclist saves doggo um this is the moment a cyclist in racing gear carries a dog on his back after finding the animal abandoned and severely dehydrated in the middle of the road. Um, the incident was filmed in the southern Argentine province of Rio Negro and was shared on Facebook by Madican Team, where it has been viewed over 600,000 times. In the footage, a man was seen cycling in his cycling gear, carrying a large black and white dog slung across his back as he paddles along the road. So, yes, got to look after our doggos. Speaking of which, shout out to everyone who wants to be a floof and papa. Nobody wants to be a cat. They want to be uh, a floof. Yeah, you mix it up a bit. The podcast is floof and papa, and the other one is everyone wants to be a cat. Yeah, but no one wants to be a cat. Everyone wants to be a floof and papa. Papa is more fun. Um, moving on to the remembrances before I get in trouble. Um... 21st of January, 1793, um, the execution of Louis XVI, one day after being convicted of conspiracy with foreign powers and sentenced to death by the French National Convention, King Louis XVI is executed by guillotine in the Place de la Révolution in Paris. On the 21st of January, 1950, George Orwell, passed away due to a burst pulmonary artery. Um, Eric Arthur Blair, which was his real name, uh, was an English novelist and essayist, journalist and critic. His work is characterised by lucid prose, awareness of social injustice, opposition to totalitarianism and outspoken support of democratic socialism. On the 21st of January 1926, Camilo Golgi um, passed away. He was aged 82, so and, and it doesn't. I haven't been able to find the cause of death being listed anywhere. Um, he was an Italian biologist and pathologist, known for his works on the central nervous system, and he won a Nobel Peace Prize from memory. Yes, he won the Nobel Peace Prize or Nobel Prize, sorry, in. Um, Physiology or Medicine in 1906 in recognition of work on the structure of the nervous system, along with Spanish biologist Santiago Ramón y Callao. So, yes. Yeah, wrap your, wrap your tongue around those words, Buck. Yes. Um, I, I, I chose myself a good one, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, though, I like the fact that he was so good at what he did. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. But unlike pretty much everyone else we ever seem to have on here, it doesn't actually say a cause of death. It seems like he may have just passed away in his sleep. So, yes. Nice to have someone passing quietly for a change. Um, 
Moving along, um, we come across now to the birthdays. On the 21st of January, 1953, Paul Allen was born in Seattle. Or Paul Allen Gardner. Was it Paul Allen or Paul Allen Gardner? Yeah, Paul Gardner Allen, sorry. Uh, he was born on the January 21st, 1953, and was an American business magnate, researcher, investor, and philanthropist. He's best known as co-founding Microsoft Corporation with childhood friend Bill Gates in 1975, which helped spark the microcomputer revolution of the 70s and 80s and everything leading up to today. Um, He was ranked as the 44th wealthiest person in the world by Forbes in 2018, with an estimated net worth of $20.3 On the 21st of January, 1869, Grigory Rasputin. You going to do your little thing there, Professor? No, I'm not going to sing the song tonight. (laughs) You did it so well. All right. Rasputin, love rushing. That's the only line I can actually remember. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to have the tune stuck in my head for a week now, though. Well, you know, I aim to please. Can you imagine the Professor while working is singing the Rasputin song? No, genuinely, I have been humming it at work. And <laughs> someone who sits near me asks what I was singing. <laughs> we win again. Mm-hmm. So that delightful interlude was brought to you by Nerds Amalgamated. Um, yeah, as so eloquently and musically sung by the Professor. Um, yeah, Rasputin was the lover of the Russian queen or empress or Tsarina, however you want to call her. Um, Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin was a Russian mystic and self-proclaimed holy man who befriended the family of Emperor Nicholas II, the last monarch of Russia, and gained considerable influence in late imperial Russia. Um, this is his birthday, so... Shall we say how how they killed him and eventually? Yeah, poisoned, uh, shot, thrown into a river and drowned. And the popular legend goes that they, when they broke him out of the ice, they found scratches from his fingers in the ice. And when they threw him into the crematorium, he sat up. <laughs> oh, I thought he was man. stabbed as well. Uh, he might very well have been stabbed as well. The uh, he famously has an urban legend about being very hard to kill. Uh, yes, this this is the the man behind all the memes of in Russia. We are tough. <laughs> and if you have a look at his picture there, yeah, he he doesn't look like someone you'd want to meet on a dark, stormy night. Um, on to the next one on the twentieth of January, nineteen thirty-four. Um, Thomas Stewart Baker was born in Liverpool, United Kingdom. Thomas Baker was, or Tom Baker, as he was more commonly known, was an English actor and writer. Um, He's quite well known for his portrayal as the fourth incarnation of The Doctor in the science fiction series Doctor Who from 1974 to 1981. A longer tenure than any other actor in the title role and provided narration in the television comedy series Little Britain. Uh, oh, okay. I did not know that one. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been um, fun. Ah, oh, mate. He 
he's one of the greatest legendary people you'll come across. Um, to put into perspective, when you think about him, this is the doctor with the scarf. He was 191 centimetres tall. So that scarf was epically long. Yeah, I made one. And considering I'm only 175, I'm not sure whether I just made it extra long or if it's uh, correctly to scale, but I'm short. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, he's still one of the most stylish doctors you can come across. He's actually got a blog where uh, a couple of times a year he posts letters that he writes. And uh, a few years ago, they found his sword in the moat of a castle. Mm -hmm. He was performing in a uh, TV show or something where he had a sword. And during a photo shoot, they dropped it off the the bridge into the moat. And it took 10 or 20 years to uh, actually recover it. Was he asking for it back? No, they just brought it back to him. Okay. You, this this is the, the doctor who not only wore the scarf, he also wore the hat and with quite a lot of panache. And the coat. Yeah. Making but, him the hardest doctor to cosplay because that is hot. And we mean temperature-wise there, not yes. just sexy hot. <laughs> yes. Although the hat, the scarf, and the coat are literally pretty much the sexiest outfits we've seen on any of the doctors. <laughs> Except for the current incarnation. She's done pretty well. Um Moving along onto the events of interest. On the 21st of January 1981, Rocket Labs launched successfully, reaches orbit. Um, this was the launch. Which one, this was, which one was this? This was the. I um, know oh, it wasn't a little joke. Jo- sorry. Um, yeah, we got a couple of them this week. So um, on the tw- they on this the second rocket on a flight named Still Testing launched, reached orbit and deployed three CubeSats for customers, Planet Labs and Spire Global. The rocket also carried an additional satellite payload called Humanity Star, a one metre wide, three foot carbon fibre geodesic sphere made up of 65 panels that reflect the sun's light. Humanity Star re-entered Earth's atmosphere and burned up in March 2018 and made the headlines. On the 11th of November 2018, the first commercial launch, the third launch in total of Electron, occurred from Mahia Peninsula carrying satellites for Spy Global. Um, this is these are the guys who are using electronic um, pump systems or something from memory, isn't it, Professor? Yeah. There's, uh, they're the first people to use an electric pump in the engine or something along those lines. So, and to make it even more interesting, they're literally just offshore from Australia here in one of our um, islands um, called New Zealand. So, yes, brought, brought to you by Australia. Yeah, remember when everyone was so upset about humanity star into orbit and how it would make astronomy so hard, and then uh, SpaceX were like, yeah, hold my beer, and they went and launched hundreds of them. <laughs> well, the thing I found interesting is everyone complained about that, but nobody complained about the car. <laughs> well, you can't see the car. Well, that's only because the batteries went flat and the headlights went off. <laughs> but we just actually, hang on, would you say the car is actually driving on a dark desert highway with cool wind in their hair? No wind in space, and he's got a helmet on. Okay. Well, I was trying to segue into a song there. 
Yeah, you singing again? You tried. <laughs> um, on the 21st of January, 1981, um, a small car was launched, which throughout its entire production was generally unchanged, although minor modifications were made to such parts as the hood and the wheels. Um, you might know it. It was the DeLorean. It's the 25th anniversary. Apparently about 9,000 DeLoreans were made before production halted in late December 1982. And in 2007, about 6,500 DeLoreans were thought to still exist, um, one of which is owned by Matthew Riley, actually owns, um, I think it's the one that was actually used in Back to the Future. Cool. So, yes. Um, and there's talks going around apparently that it's there's that they're actually going to be remanufacturing um deloreans so you'll be able to buy a new delorean soon yeah hopefully they uh, pick a more appropriate engine and it can actually drive under its own power because there is no way an original delorean is going to get to 88 miles per hour unless it's going downhill <laughs> considering the fact it was made out of stainless steel it's going to move pretty fast yeah downhill. uphill not so much um, so, yeah, that's something awesome to look forward to. On the 21st of January, 1960, Little Joe 1B was launched. Um, this was the escape system test of the Mercury spacecraft conducted as part of the US Mercury program. The mission also carried a female rhesus monkey, um, Marka Molata, named Miss Sam in the Mercury spacecraft. The mission was launched on January 21st, 1960, from Wallops Island, Virginia. The Little Joe 1B flew to an apogee of 9.3 statute miles, or 15 kilometres, and a range of 11.7 miles, or 18.9 kilometres, for those who uh, challenged, out to sea. Miss Sam survived the 8-minute, 35-second flight in good condition, although she wanted more bananas because they forgot to give her the in-flight meal. <laughs> the spacecraft was recovered by a marine helicopter and returned to Wallops Island within about 45 minutes. Miss Sam was one of many monkeys used in space travel research and Apparently, she's still waiting on those bananas. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything for the week. Um, have you guys got anything else to add? Surprise messages? Nope, mm-hmm. uh, got nothing. You got nothing? Nothing, uh, mate. No, no, I have nothing to add. Uh, well then, DJ, where can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, iTunes, Stitcher. That's not Canada.com, where we have an archive of our old episodes. Um, they can email us as well. All of the all of our details will be added on, will be in our show notes. So yeah. Okay. Well, until next week. Remember to look after yourselves, take care of each other, and stay hydrated. Peroot. See you guys. We'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.